What in the world is God up to? I'm not sure exactly what day you're watching this, but I'm sitting right in the middle of the coronavirus. And what started as a kind of interesting, intriguing, scary pandemic has extended and extended and extended. <laughs> and so the question for many of us has grown and grown and grown. What in the world is God up to? Now, for those of us who are Christians, we believe that God is good, that God knows about this, that God controls this, God is powerful, and most importantly, that God cares about us. He loves us, so it makes us ask the question even more, what is God up to? As we stay safer at home, as we try another Zoom call or Google Hangout or Netflix party, as we hope the internet works and the, the kids don't kill each other, during the isolation, we, we ask that question, what is God up to? What are his plans and purposes? Because I bet you're a lot like me that if there's a good reason for something, you can get through it. I mean, expecting mothers can get through the pains of labor because they know something really good is on the way. We can get through really hard, sweaty, agonizing workouts at the gym because we know afterwards we're going to be healthier and stronger and fitter and better. So, what's the purpose for this? This week, that's the question that I want to explore with you. What might be God's reasons? I was listening to a podcast the other day that tried to answer that question and I love the pastor's answer. He said, what is God doing during the coronavirus? A billion times more than you could ever think of. <laughs> I love that answer. God's wisdom, his ways are way higher than ours. God has a billion reasons that won't even cross our minds, which is why I'm excited about this week. Because if you and I could think of just a handful of reasons, just five that I'm going to share with you in the days to come, then maybe God has a billion and five things he's actually up to. So my hope is to suggest a few things that might be on God's mind to encourage you to keep the faith, to stay strong, and to put your hope in him during the coronavirus. So, as we kick things off this week, here's the first thing that God might be doing during this crazy time. He might be teaching us basic Christianity. At the very heart of our faith, what this is all about, maybe the coronavirus is a perfect way for us to understand exactly what Jesus did for us. You know, about a month ago, I was on an airplane my trip to Israel had been cut short. We had to rebook a flight. I had a layover in Poland and I was coming back to Chicago. I'm in the aisle seat and guess who is sitting just across the aisle from me? 24, maybe 30 inches. A woman, an older woman, an older European woman, an older European woman who was coughing. Now, in the pre-corona world, I wouldn't have thought much about her cough. It was only every few minutes or so. But in the heightened, terrified, fearful of everyone coughing kind of world, do you know what I would do when she would cough? Am I out of focus yet? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be rude or obvious, but you know, I was kind of scared in the, the terrifying news. What, what if she was sick? And what if she infected me? And what if I infected my family? So I, I leaned away from her sickness for my own sake. And when I reflected on that moment, which I'm not super proud of, by the way, it, it reminded me of what Christianity is all about. 
of what Jesus came to do. Because when Jesus Christ came into our world 2,000 years ago, he didn't do this. He did this. Let me prove it to you from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. Verse 2 says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. In Jesus' day, people with leprosy were kind of like people with corona today. They were considered dangerous. They needed to be isolated. They were unclean. They could make you sick. They could ruin your life. And so they kept their distance. But what did Jesus do? He didn't lean away. This text says that he reached out towards. And it's such a vivid picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. I mean, our world, because of Adam and Eve's sin, was infected with an even worse pandemic. Sin had spread like a super virus and all of us were infected. All of us were dangerous. You know, the fever of our selfishness, it, it raged through every country, every state, every home, and every soul. And it would have been so much easier, so much safer, if Jesus would have just stayed home. If there was some angelic, safer-at-home order, Jesus could have stayed up there and kept his distance from us. But he didn't. He didn't lean back. He reached out. He came into our world not wondering if he'd beat the odds and escape contamination. No, he knew exactly what would happen. He would be infected by sin. It would take his own life. And yet he chose it. I leaned away from that woman so I could be happier and healthier. But Jesus leaned towards us so that we could be spiritually healthier and happy in the presence of God. With you and with me, he didn't reach out his hand and, and touch us like the leper. He reached out his hands to save us forever. <laughs> and so if that's the only thing that God did, if the coronavirus just reminded us that we tend to keep our distance from dangerous people, but Jesus didn't, he reached out to us when we were sinful, lost, and dangerous. He gave up his life so that we could be saved. So if we have to go through all this just to understand the heart of our faith, that we have a selfless, sacrificial Savior, maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's the purpose. That you and I could see and appreciate and love Jesus more than ever before. Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard to grasp how much you love us. We think so much of ourselves instinctively, but you didn't. You thought of others. You thought of me. You thought of us. And so we worship you today. We, we love you. As we keep our distance from other people, let us think of the gospel, that you're a God who doesn't keep his distance. You reach out, you reach out for our sake. Help us to love you more than ever. Help us to appreciate you and to trust your plans during this crazy time. We pray this, Jesus, in your beautiful name. Amen. Have you ever heard of the Broadway play called Breath? It came out in the 1960s by a playwright named Samuel Beckett and the entire play was only 35 seconds long. So I'd like to reenact the whole thing for you. <laughs> the play started like this. Ah, ah. 
And then the middle part went like this. And then the conclusion went like this. Ah. And that was it. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you get why Samuel Beckett wrote that play? You know, people come to the theater and they expect two or three hours of professional entertainment, but within 35 seconds, the whole thing was done. And you could probably guess his point. That life is like a breath. You sit down and it starts with life's first cry, and then just like a couple of breaths, you're breathing your last. Samuel Beckett wasn't the first person to think like that. The famous prophet Moses thought like that too. And when I think about the only psalm that he wrote in the Bible, Psalm 90, it reminds me, perhaps, of one of God's plans and purposes for us during the corona pandemic. It's for us to think not just about the basic message of Christianity, but about our own mortality. Listen to Moses' words from Psalm 90. He said in verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to, to count our days, God. Help us not to forget that after a few breaths, we're into our teenage years and then getting our first apartment and then maybe standing at the altar and maybe changing a diaper, taking care of an aging parent. We're in the heart of our careers. We're getting passed by by younger employees. There's retirement. There's the nursing home. You blink and it's over, right? And Moses says, God, give me a heart of wisdom to realize how short life can be. The individual days can feel so long, but life itself is over in a breath. <laughs> you think it's going to be a three-hour show and it takes, well, about 35 seconds. And maybe the coronavirus has reminded us of that. As we check the numbers day after day, how many cases and how many countries, how many deaths globally or in our state or in our county, we're very much reminded that people die all the time from all kinds of things. If we don't read the daily obituaries, we can forget that, but people are dying frequently. They stand before God each and every day. You know, I was reading an article yesterday that reminded me that the plagues of human history and all of the wars, the pandemics, the viruses, they have not changed the ratio of people to death. It's one-to-one, -one, like it's always been. And that's why Moses keeps writing. He says, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then verse 13, relent, Lord, how long will it be have compassion on your servants. God, if anything could interrupt my life, if I could get infected by someone who doesn't even know they're carrying this virus, I need you to have compassion on me. Keep me safe. Keep me healthy. Grant me life. Have compassion on my family. But you never know if that'll happen, right? Life flies by. Something takes us, cancer, a car accident, the coronavirus. And that's why I love Moses' next words. 
These are the words that for years now, I pray almost every morning, barely before I open my eyes. In verse 14, Moses said this, God, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. In a world where life passes by in a few short breaths, in a world where you never know how long your days will be and, and you need God's compassion, the one thing you can always rely on is the unfailing love of God. Now, we've seen that the government can fail us, the schools can shut down, our favorite sports, our favorite shows, the national parks, like everything can fail, it can be gone because of a virus we can't even see. But there's something else that we can't see and it never fails. The love of God through Jesus Christ. So I want to speak to all of you today who are lacking joy and gladness. You, you haven't sung a song of praise in a long time. Maybe you can join me in that morning prayer. God, whatever happens today, your love is right there. Satisfy us. Satisfy me. From life's first cry to final breath, let me realize that I am loved because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And let that simple thought bring me so much joy today that however long this lasts, however far this goes, I know that I'm going to be okay because I have you and I have love. It's easy to forget that in a corona world. So let's talk to our Heavenly Father and ask him to send his spirit to remind us each day. Let's pray. God, we will never be satisfied unless we can see you. And you're invisible, so we can't, <laughs> we can't see you. So we need the eyes of faith uh, to know that you are right here even during our isolation and to know that you are here with a kind of love that our closest family members and friends can't even offer us. Satisfy us with that thought, God. Let it fill our hearts so completely. Let it be such a, a rock and a foundation for us that we could actually rejoice in the midst of this. Life is short but your love isn't. We have just a few breaths, but your unfailing love endures forever. Fill us up, God, with that truth and help us to rejoice because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine surviving a pandemic without one of these? <laughs> this past Easter for Easter Sunday, it was through a screen that my wife and my two daughters and I got to worship and sing praises to Jesus. And then we grabbed my phone and we turned on the Amazon Prime music station and we worshiped while we put together a puzzle. And then I had some work meetings on Google Hangouts. I chatted with some friends over Zoom. I was able to send emails and texts and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And I'm so grateful for that. Can you imagine living through the bubonic plague? <laughs> I imagine they didn't pass the time with a Netflix party. So I feel so blessed to live in the era of human history that I do. The coronavirus has not been an easy time for so many of us, yet, yet these devices and screens have made things so, so much better. And yet, if you're going to let me complain, I'm not content. Staring at, at you, at my friends, at my parents, through a screen. I'm not content with that. 
And this week we've been talking about God's plans through the pandemic that we're living through. And I think that maybe one of God's plans is to teach us to appreciate community. We've talked about appreciating basic Christianity or our own mortality. But has this whole ordeal made you appreciate the community of saints, the gathering of God's people? Because I cannot wait to get back to church. Speaking to a camera lens in an empty church is good. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. It allows me to connect with you. But I cannot wait to be not just with a few people, but with so many people singing God's praises. How about you? I mean, it's been amazing singing hymns and songs with my wife and my two daughters in the basement. <laughs> but I can't wait to get out of the basement. I can't wait for that first Sunday when they say, let's go to the house of God. Let's go with the people of God. Let's gather around the word of God. Let's sing, not with four of us, but with 40, 240 of us. I cannot wait for that day. I can't wait for the day when I don't just talk about communion or read about communion, but I get to take communion with a fellow sinner on each side, celebrating the body and blood of Christ given for me, for you, for the forgiveness of our sins. I know the community is complicated. (laughs) Once we get back to church, there's going to be people there and, well, people are people. (laughs) They get in your personal space, they make jokes that aren't that funny. Sometimes the church musicians make a noise that's not that joyful. <laughs> and sometimes pastors, I know we're not the most inspiring people. We can talk too long, but, but still, I, I just can't wait. And this whole thing makes me think of what worship used to be like. If you're anything like me, you're used to a worship service being offered Sunday after Sunday, even if you don't make it every time. In fact, in Jesus' day, the same thing was true. In the synagogue, there was a Sabbath service after Sabbath service. But, but did you know way back in the day, in the days of King David, in the days of Moses and Joshua, that's not how worship worked? The synagogue, that weekly Saturday meeting, was actually invented during the Babylonian exile in like the 6th century BC. Before that, there wasn't a weekly church service. Did you know that? What the Jewish people had way back in the days of Moses and David was just a couple of times a month. Or I should say, rather, a couple of times a year. <laughs> Every few months, the people would gather to one centralized place where the tabernacle or the temple was and they would worship together. And maybe now we can imagine how David felt. But when he and his neighbors would gather to that massive gathering of God's people, when they had spent a few weeks, maybe a few months without being together in in church and then it happened, can you imagine the joy of that moment? Well, maybe now. (laughs) Maybe now you can. There's this great psalm, Psalm 122, uh, 121. No, I'm sorry, 122 that David wrote. I'm going to get this right. And in verse 1, David said this, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. David wasn't depressed about church. He wasn't dragging his feet like a teenager who wanted to stay in bed. No, he says, I rejoiced when they said to me, let's go to church. Let's go to the house of God. Let's sing praises with the people of God. I think I'm going to relate to that verse more than ever before. 
I'm going to love communion and gathered worship and singing and live preaching, seeing the expression, the energy in the room, hearing the amens, seeing tears in people's eyes while I preach. Maybe like never before, I'm going to appreciate what it means to be a community. A community that gathers around the gospel. A community that encourages one another. So, brothers and sisters, don't panic. There's a point to this. Maybe a billion points. Maybe God's teaching us not just about Christianity and mortality, but about the power of a spiritual community. I hope you're as excited as I am when that day comes. As excited as David was. We rejoice with those who said, let's go to the house of God. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we don't know what we got until it's gone. After all those Sundays, all those years, all those decades when church was just a given and the doors were unlocked and the coffee was served, we, we didn't realize how rare that was. But now, Father, we get it. What a gift it will be to actually gather with people, to hear their voices and to hear your voice through the word. Bless us more than ever when this is over with a greater love for church, for your people, for the fellowship of the saints. I thank you for opening our eyes to this and I pray that we never forget it. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about money. <laughs> well, but you don't have to worry, okay? I know I'm a pastor. I know this is a Christian ministry, but I'm, I'm not asking for your money today. I want you to give, but not to me. I want you to think about giving to them. This week, we've been talking about God's possible plans in the midst of this pandemic. Now, we could trust God. We could actually rejoice through all this if we knew there was a good purpose and a good point. And I think there is. And I think one of the greatest purposes God's people might have is with money. Do you know the reputation the Christian church has these days when it comes to money? Pastors, TV ministries. Yeah, it, it's not great. The average non-Christian friend or family member who hasn't been to church in a while, they probably have some assumptions about what the church does with all that money that they just want to take. Man-made rules, guilt, and shame just to get more in their pockets. Which is why I think this might be a shocking opportunity to prove that idea patently false. There certainly are greedy Christians which breaks Jesus' heart. There are greedy churches, which I, I wish would just shut down. But you and I can prove that there are plenty of exceptions to that assumption. How can we do it? By giving money. You probably heard the stories like I have. Uh, this morning, a woman from our church said that her husband was temporarily laid off his job. I was reading an article about local businesses, restaurants being down 60, even 75% of their normal income. Small businesses aren't sure if the government can save their bottom line. Stimulus checks can't cover all of our bills. People are losing their jobs, cutting their hours, afraid for their financial future. So, so what might happen if you and I, those of us who have the resources, we gave? We gave to friends, to neighbors. We left crazy tips, made generous donations. 
What would happen to the reputation of the church, the reputation of the name of Jesus, if his people gave when they didn't have to? Maybe if we receive a stimulus check and that stimulated our generosity to give to more people more than we ever have before. If you and I would do that, it would not be the first time in Christian history. In fact, the biggest section of the Bible about money, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is about that exact thing. The Apostle Paul was trying to encourage Christians to give, like never before. But it wasn't for his ministry or building some big church. He wanted them to give to the poor. And at the end of this beautiful section, which I hope you can read in its entirety today, Paul said this, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul said, there are going to be people that praise God, not just because you're a Christian, but because next to your confession of Jesus came this crazy generosity. (laughs) So I'm I'm not sure if I should tell you this story. I'm honestly not sure if Jesus wants me to tell you this story, but I want to tell you this story and I hope you take it in the best way. Uh, Two days ago, I was walking around my city uh, praying for this pandemic and I came across this little drive through coffee shop and decided to get some caffeine to keep me awake (laughs) while I prayed. And so from a socially safe distance, I ordered my $2 coffee and uh, the owner of the place asked me, do you want to leave a tip? And I don't know if this was foolishness or the Holy Spirit, but I said, oh, sure. She said, how much? And I just picked a number. Like a, a big number. <laughs> a crazy number. <laughs> and I really wish I would have like a picture of her face because she just looked at me like this. What? And so I repeated the number. And she looked at me like this. What? (laughs) Are you sure? She said. She looked at the only other employee in the place. Their eyes got this big. And she she said, thank you. (laughs) And I got to tell you, when I walked away with my medium coffee, I didn't feel poorer. I felt richer. I'm not sure if she picked it up, but I was wearing a winter hat at the time that had the Time of Grace logo on the front of it. And my hope is that that gift didn't make her love the ministry I'm a part of, but I hope she saw the word grace. Because that's the expression that we make when we look at Jesus, isn't it? When he says, I forgive you, and we ask, how much? And he drops the number all of it. And we say, what? (laughs) And we look at each other with with big eyes. We're we're completely forgiven? It's finished? The whole price is paid? Like, eternal life is, is ours because of this tip, this gift, this grace? I don't know if she's going to connect those dots, but I hope you do. That every act of crazy generosity is so small compared to the greatest act of generosity that we see on the cross. That the gifts that we give that accompany our confession of the gospel, our little glimpses of the gospel, 
of the God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. What's God's purpose? Maybe it's generosity. Generosity that reminds people of the real message of Christianity. That we worship, we, we gather, we even give because we love the God who gave. If that's all that God was doing, Corona would be worth it. Thankfully, he's doing that and a billion times more. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you gave us way more than good advice. You gave us your very life. And we love you for that grace. So at the end of every day, we're forgiven and we're loved and we're going to be okay forever and ever because of you. It's, it's breathtaking, it's beautiful, and it makes us praise you. Lord, I know many people who are praying with me right now, they live in a first world country. They have been blessed historically and globally in shocking ways. Some of them are going to get checks from the government that they really don't need to have a roof over their head and bread in their stomach. And so I pray that you would stir all of us to give. There are needs all around us. There are people who are so afraid that they're not going to make it and you could use us to change that, to take away their fear and to remind them of our faith. Help us to step up to that challenge and to do it with joy. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. These are the exact words of the text that a mom sent me. Quote, I have zero clue how your wife deals with my son for five days a week. <laughs> the corona crisis had just started and here was this mom with her preschooler <laughs> desperately texting, how does your wife do it? Now, my wife teaches 28 three and four year olds five days a week. She's shockingly good at her job, but I don't think many parents realize how hard her job was until they had to teach their own kids. <laughs> and I wonder if that's one of God's purposes through all of this. All around us are people who do really good work, really hard work, really sacrificial work, and we just didn't realize it until we had to do it. All this week, we've been talking about God's purposes for this pandemic. We don't know his mind, we can't possibly fathom his ways, but we could kind of see if he's teaching us about Christianity or mortality, about community or generosity. And, and today I want to land the plane by talking to you about gratitude. You know, lots of us who are parents, as our kids try to do virtual learning from a distance, we realize just how hard it is to be a teacher. Maybe you've seen some of those funny memes before, people asking, let's just pay all the teachers a billion dollars because this is harder than we thought. During the past two weeks, I've thought about doctors and nurses more than ever before. You know, now we realize what a great sacrifice they make, how hard their jobs can be, the kind of risk they put themselves in dealing with sick people all the time. That, that's not new for them. They, they've always been doing that. But now we know. Now we realize that they're heroes in many ways. We think about them, their health, their safety, their families that they come home to, their health and their safety, and we're grateful. Now, maybe when we saw those people at the grocery store stocking the shelves, taking the toilet paper off the pallets, we didn't think much of it three months ago, but now, 
Now, if we could, we would hug those kids because there's toilet paper for our homes. Even the small things we've learned to be grateful for. You probably know that gratitude is a great character of a human being with integrity. And maybe God is teaching us just that. I love this scripture from King David. In Psalm 103, he said this, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I love that. David's talking to his soul. He says, hey, praise God and don't forget. All these blessings, my forgiveness, my eternal life, I'm going to conquer death because Jesus isn't dead. All these, soul, don't forget that. And David would add, and and don't forget them. The moms and dads who are making meals day after day after day. The teachers who are going the extra mile to communicate and connect our kids to good educational resources. The people who keep our streets clean, the shelves stocked. Let's not forget them and all the benefits that they bring to us. And that's why today I want to give you a challenge. It's a challenge actually connected to some of my greatest time of grace hypocrisy. You ready for it? I want you to take one hour this week to actually review something that's blessed you. (laughs) If you know much about these videos, I come on the end of many of them saying, hey, thanks so much. We'd love to spread the word. So we'd love a rating and review to help the gospel get to more hearts. You know, is that what I say, right? But do you know how many things I've actually reviewed in my life? Zero. <laughs> All these ministries that have blessed me. And I'm telling, I'm telling you to do something that I haven't done. I haven't been grateful enough to leave someone a simple review. For, for some reason, I haven't taken the time. So I'm going to hold myself. The, the camera crew is going to keep me accountable to this. And I'm actually going to take an hour this week. I'm going to find the ministries, the people, the companies that have been a great blessing to me and I'm going to express my gratitude for the whole digital community to see. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. This isn't some trick. You don't have to do time of grace if you don't want to, but just reach out and let someone know that you're grateful. Forget not all of God's benefits from Jesus at the cross and through his people here on earth. I hope this week has opened your eyes to some of God's plans and purposes. And I thank the Lord that there are a billion times that we didn't cover. So, let's close this week, close these devotions with a word of prayer. Uh, Jesus, it's easy for us to forget, but today we try to remember that because of your life and death and resurrection, we're loved, we're safe, we're the objects of mercy. We are your treasured people, we are your own, so we don't need to be afraid. This week, help us to remember you and to be grateful to them. Help us not to be so busy running from one thing to the next that we forget to slow down and say thank you for all the benefits that so many people have brought us. I thank you, God, for having plans for this. All things are underneath the feet of your son, even the coronavirus. So we push back against fear this week. We trust you. And even today, we rejoice in this day that you've made. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you already for answering it because we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, We certainly would love this message to reach more and more people. 
So if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would bring it to more people's eyes and we pray this message into more people's hearts. Thanks for your support and we'll talk to you soon.